in the immortal words of Frank Kumasoto, study and grow strong. This is Road Warrior Otwell. Greetings and other miscellaneous salutations. This is Otwell, coming with episode 50, the one and last one that I will advertise beforehand because as I've learned, when I advertise and promise an episode of a particular thing that I record at a later date, those turn out to be the hardest ones to record. So all future podcasts, I'll do a better job and not try to promo their topic, per se, and force myself into a cubbyhole, basically. Other than to say that the topic of this podcast, in case you hadn't ever figured it out, is what I think. My opinions, my feelings, my thoughts about magic, my life, my future, my past, both within and what I've done for magic and outside and how I behave, how I treat myself, my my ambitions, my uh, occasionally even screwed up marriage or, well, soon-to-be-ended marriage. I also will promise not to talk about that as much as I had before. I used to be a stuck-up white boy, faking the funk. Bump that. I ain't bullshit no more. Background me. I've been playing Magic since about 94. I learned in uh, December, I believe, of 94. Shortly after the release of The Dark, right before the release of Fallen Empires. My first set that I invested heavily into was Fallen Empires. The first set first thing I bought in Magic was a starter deck, a revised. And in that starter deck, I opened a Balance and a Sarah Angel. Now, anyone who knows me has known that white has henceforth always been my favorite color. Not because of the Sarah Angel, but because of the Balance. Because, for whatever reason, that's one card that just tickled my fancy from day one. Was the ability to equalize the board and rain justice down on the land. Obviously, Wrath of God then, therefore, became my favorite card of all time. Other top-end cards that I used to enjoy playing with includes Chaos Sword, Sword of Plowshares, Decree of Justice, Eternal Dragon, Ritugazi, Natural Affinity, Roseldelkian Shackles, Black Vice, The Abyss, and a host of other cards that, that I, that, you know, that goes on and on and on. Every set has a couple of favorites, like in Lauren, my, probably my favorite card out of Lauren happens to be Mannequin, my favorite card out of Future Sight happens to be either Venser or Apocrysite, and I haven't made up my mind. It originally was Apocrysite. I'm slowly understanding the true power behind Venser, though. Ever since my eyes were opened by watching Protor Valencia's uh, finals coverage, I had underappreciated that card to that point, but I obtained myself some and actually played with it. Let's see. Since 94, my first Protor I qualified was in Dallas 95. No, uh, 96. Dallas 96. Was, pro, was a vintage formatted Pro Tour. And for whatever reason, Watsi still refuses to give that particular Pro Tour event, which was advertised as a Pro Tour, Pro Tour points. So technically I'm at two Pro Tour points instead of four Pro Tour points where I think I should have been, you know, because it might matter 30 years down the line when I achieve Hall of Fame eligible status. Granted, it may take 30 years, but hey, you know. I've been playing this game for 10 years. I can still keep plugging away at it. My, my energy doesn't, hasn't exactly died yet. Let's put it that way. Since that time, I've attended U.S. Nationals once as a player, about six times as a, as a spectator. I've attended multiple Grand Prix. I, I believe roughly a dozen that I've been in. Of those six of which, I was in competition for day two in the last round and blew it failing to have never made a day two at a Grand Prix. At Pro Tour Dallas, 
In 96, I finished 33rd overall, one spot out of money, because they paid down to 32nd, which was, at the time, you know, that was really harsh. Though, in that event, I beat Mike Loco Recanto, the Pro Tour 1 champion, who basically, I basically destroyed him. It wasn't even a, it wasn't even remotely close, but he was just trying to, he got into the point where he had to sit there and just try to talk me out of concentrating on what I was doing in order to hope that I would make a mistake and just tried to chatterbox his way into basically being a luck sack. I've attended 2003 October Extended format in New Orleans. I was invited to the 2004 Pro Tour Kobe, but I had to turn it down because of lack of money. Um, I've had one other Pro Tour invite over time, uh, uh, which was a Pro Tour 1 in New York because I fast-dialed and got my name on the list of eligible players to play. However, because of the lack of fundage, I didn't couldn't afford the airline and hotel expenses, so I ended up having to pass up on that event as well. Uh, between that and Kobe, I've now resolved to the point where if I have an invite for a Pro Tour event or a Nationals event, nothing's going to stop me from attending that event. The humiliation and, and devastating desire that I had where I've had to turn down because of, because of lack of money will never stop me again from attending an event that I have a qualification or invite for. Someday, I resolve to overcome some of my obstacles. For instance, my goal is to make day two at a Grand Prix. My goal is to someday make money at a Grand Prix or Pro Tour, pro, pro tour event. I resolve to re-qualify myself for a Pro Tour. This year, I'm going to make a serious effort at achieving that fact. Not only qualifying, I'm hoping that with my attempts at Vancouver and Philly, I can put myself into a good position to make a run at at least a level 2 status pro tour level. If it doesn't happen this year, there's always next year, but you know, I'm going to I'm going to forego things like dating, for instance, and dedicate myself to becoming a better magic player. That is my 2008 uh, New Year's resolution, if you will. So, as well as being a better dad and to be well cuz I'm now a single dad and I'm going to be a good dad but I'm also going to become a good magic player again. And that's an interesting balance. It's going to be a little hard to some days negotiate, but without other distractions in my life beyond work, my daughter and magic, I should do pretty good this next year, I think. Other things about me. For a period of time, I was a premier writer for what used to be known as Brainburst or TCGplayer.com. I had also produced a series of podcasts for that that were eventually pulled and never actually posted for listen, people to listen to. I uh, don't know. I was never given a straight answer as to why that was never, they were never actually posted. I took those three podcasts, condensed them down to one, took out some garbage, and there became episode one, my pilot episode of this particular show on MTG Cast. I had also produced, prior to this, MTG Cast episode one, I also made podcasts that were published on Top 8 Magic, that I specifically did for Brian David Marshall, Michael J. Flores, and Matthew Wang. They published a, a series of like seven or eight of my podcasts in the end. I had more of them they could have done, but I decided to, at the time, switch gears, and that's when I went with the notions like, well, Gavin Varhe, who I was talking to online one day, convinced me of one simple fact. By publishing my podcast with Top 8 Magic, I invariably put myself in a position of always being overshadowed by Michael J. Flores and, and Brian David Marshall. Granted, I wasn't as good as them. Granted, it's a lot harder for me to do it solo than it is for them to talk together, especially with Steve Satan and uh, Asher and 
and Marino and occasionally Lee Moshwitz, you know, some real brains behind the game. And basically I was causing myself to become a second-rate person. I really like those guys. I'll, I'll, I have no issues that qualms with ever hanging out with them. I'll gladly go and do a dinner with them. You know, if they want me to, I'll even record my podcast again. I have no problem with that. But Gavin had a point there in that I was not making a name for myself by publishing events on Top 8 Magic. All I did was the occasional background noise for the main thread of stuff that was expected there. It's kind of funny now because they only publish stuff about once a month now as opposed to weekly like they were then. So maybe his logic is not as solid now as it was then, but at the same time, I really enjoy Dom. I've gotten to really like Dom and Tom, Gavin. So I'm here to stay on MTG Cast. Since that, I made that decision, and since I made the dedication to stay on MTG Cast, Dom has gone as far as promoting me to scheduling manager for MTG Cast. It's my right to, along with Tom, basically to install, set up, and organize whenever event uh, shows come out on this network. Now, if we had more shows, what I'm supposed to be doing would be a little bit more relevant, but since I don't have all those shows, I have to do what I have. Other accomplishments of my past. Besides having been a premier writer for a well-known, established uh, article network, uh, 2GD player, and I attempted to put podcasts out for them, I basically at the time I was going to take over for what was known as the Manivault, because uh, Daquan Watson and Mason Petros decided that they were no longer interested in producing podcasts for TCG Player for whatever reason. I never did really find out a good, solid reason other than Mason, when I came across him at Dallas, Grand Prix Dallas last year, told me that it was mostly hardware problems that were causing too many issues, and in the end they decided to give up that and uh, one of their hosts decided, I guess, to, to walk away from Magic too. Since 95, my first sanctioned tournament also happened to be the very last weekend that Chaos Orb was legal in Vintage. At the time, I was playing a Black Vice Type 1 deck, where the purpose of the deck was to either beat you down with Autumn Willow, or, well, actually, that was Autumn Willow came after the fact, so that was before Autumn Willow. It was um, Deadly Insects, Mishra's Workshop, and Mishra's Factory, Factory, I mean, Black Vices, and lots and lots of ways to make everybody draw cards, Lots of ways to continuously recycle my deck, blow up permanents, etc., etc., etc. Now, I cannot say or disagree with Debassi's decision to get rid of Chaos Orb. It was one of the most brutally unfair cards if you knew what you were doing with it. And people spend, I spent hours practicing how to use Chaos Orb effectively and could, at, at one point in time, drop it from a foot to a foot and a half of height accurately and destroy maximum number of permanents, including that which I wanted, every time. I got really good at it. And, yeah, in the end, it was a physical skill that made no sense to have to get people to learn. But at the time, there was also no defined play area. And as such, people could put juggernauts on top of my abysses. Uh, they could play their lands on or next to my lands and make chaos or games actually kind of stupid at times, too. So that was long. We've come a long way since the days in tournaments. In that, back in 97... While I was attending one of the Pro Tours, I had become a level one judge. Um, one of the very first level one judges out there in the first like six months of the judge program at one of the Pro Tours I attended as a spectator. Working in the, the, the back, the side room, doing a bunch of the side drafts and such. Eventually I became a level two judge over time. I became a fairly competent judge. My big thing was rules knowledge. And back during fourth edition, fifth edition, there was just aspects of the rules that made no sense. There was quite literally no answer for some outcomes of things you could cause that were card interactions because of bad wording, bad templates, 
unknown understanding of the rules, etc. And part of the reason I became a judge was because the two judges in Denver who were holding big events at their stores didn't know crap. And I constantly would catch them with confusing rules questions that they didn't have a clue on how to answer. One of those two judges was Stephen Bach. The other one was Don Johnson. Don Johnson has since passed away in a car accident that he was involving his motorcycle. So, um, unfortunately, he, he also did a ton of good for the for the for the uh, uh, site of Magic in Denver. Unfortunately, he's now passed away. Steve Loth also did a ton of good for Magic over the years, but eventually he became a bit jaded because Lossie refused to make him the, the primary TO in our region, and as such, has more or less disassociated himself with Magic for the most part in Denver. But I became a fairly competent judge. So much so that eventually I became the head judge of all the PTQs and regionals and had to forego being able to qualify for events because of the, the fact we had to have somebody run those events for us in Denver and for Colorado, basically. And I took on the responsibility of putting my competitive flyers aside for the greater good involved. And I did that for about two and a half years before it finally burned me out to the point where I couldn't stand it anymore. And I started making mistakes. I started slipping up. I had people complain to Watsi about my lack of performance in some of the PTQs and the regionals. And Watsi eventually canned me for from doing those events as, a, as he had done. And it started Scott Marshall at the time, who was a newly ordained level two that they happened to like personality-wise. I was kind of resentful at first. I mean, after all, if you basically had your gravy taken taken away from you, even though if you didn't like it, it still pissed you off. But in the end, after about a year of settling and fuming about that, it, I came to the realization that it was also better for, for the good of Magic that I needed to be taken away from being a judge. In fact, so, so much so that at that time, I decided to denounce the judging program officially on the official judge forums, and within 24 hours, they booted me and revoked my judge, my, uh, judge level. Uh, that was about shortly after Scott also became a level 3, if I remember correctly. Since then, he's now become a level 4 and one of the most powerful judge, international judges in the world and is the net rep for Watsi's judge program. Last I, last I checked, because I can no longer read that list, and they no longer have a public either to be read, readable from a website, which is really annoying, because I didn't mind so much losing my judgeship because I could still access the rules knowledge from the judge mailing list, but now that I took that away, that was kind of... That actually upset me probably the most thing of all the things I lost as far as being a judge. Um, now it's been seven years since I've last judged or TO'd an event. During the time I was judging and or TOing events, I ran three events a week on my, in the springs of my own. I attended tournaments in Denver that I played in and PTQs that I ran in regionals. And during that time, I, I accumulated stats in 498 events that I TO'd and or head judged during between 97 and 2001. Now, as a player, between 95 and present day, I have accumulated about 650, well, between 610 and 650, depending on how you look at it, sanctioned tournaments. And the reason that is is because right now, a huge backlog of our tournaments locally have not been reported to the DCI, and certain people's player rewards and getting some complaints from the players locally that basically our TO quit quit turning in the Friday Night Magic results, basically. So I don't have an exact number in there. Uh, they're supposed to have been sanctioned and just never returned in. But I'm definitely over 600 events as a player. I've now accumulated about 2,675 sanctioned matches on my record, not including the ones that have not been turned in yet. 
there's very few people in the world who's accumulated the kind of stats that I have as a player. One of those happens to live in Japan. The one guy who passed me, basically. Oh, yes. Taro Kageyama, who, as of June 29, 2006, had 3,107 matches. He's the guy who started a year after I started playing tournaments and passed me in total matches to date. And at Nationals in 2006, I resolved to catch him again and surpass him in matches because, well, I should have the most matches, damn it. <laughs> Sides. He had, he had the benefit of being within, like, walking distance of a uh, Wizards, Wizards of the Coast uh, storefront, which had daily sanctioned tournaments. So he passed me because of a convenience that I didn't have access to. A bit of an unfair inconvenience for in that matter. But when I learned that at Nationals last in 2006, I not only not, did not have the most matches, but I had someone who directly surpassed me. I uh, resolved to fix that problem. That's one of my goals in life now as well. Now, you've probably heard enough of my background here for the time, time being. I'm just going to mention later on in this podcast, I'm going to announce two separate contests. Both will involve Facebook. If you don't know the Facebook page, please go sign up. It's MTGCast under Facebook. If I go to, say, the exact is MTGCast hosts and listeners under organizations, nonprofit organizations. As of today, which is January 15th, we have 76 members. We're actually growing at a fairly nice little path. And I'm going to have two contests announced later on in this podcast involving prizes. And going to be using the Facebook Facebook uh, organization page. So hey, uh, the group ID is eight one two five zero one zero four one one, or just do a search on MTG Cast and you'll find it. All the programs on MTG Cast are now going to be using it a lot more frequently as well, and in order to communicate with our listeners. Um, though Monday Night Magic will continue to have its post on MTG Salvation as being the official MTG Salvation. Podcast. And now for a few words from Randy Bueller. These are professional players, ladies and gentlemen. Do not try this at home. And now before I get into anything else, here is a promo for another magic-related podcast that Ron Vitale produces that I feel you should listen to as well. The podcast you're listening to is about 3,000 seconds long. So what are you going to do with the remaining 601,800 seconds left in your week? Sure, I hear what you're thinking. You got to go to sleep, you got work, you got school and travel, you got to go back and forth to all those places. But I've done all the math. I've saved you all the time. Even if you deduct all that stuff off, you still have over 414,600 seconds left in your week. So here's an idea. Why not listen to The Magic Sock? a podcast in which I discuss the Magic the Gathering fantasy collectible card game. On the Magic Sock, you'll hear me discuss deck building techniques, individual card strategies, all the new sets, and my 13-year love of the game. Visit www.themagicsock to hear more. And remember, even listening to this podcast and the Magic Sock, you'll still have plenty of time left to play Magic. All right, great. Now let's get into the meat of what this podcast is going to be about today, which is the recapping and grading of my previous podcasts. All right, welcome back. Now to get into the grading aspect of the show. 
basically I'm going to go through my first group of podcasts that I've released on MGGCast and I'm going to give them grading qualities based upon artistic quality, conceptual quality, and technical quality to give current listener and future listener an idea of what's there and so they don't have to go out and listen to every show but they have the, the ability to get a, get a glimpse of what's actually there. Definition of artistic quality. Though not required, basically the speaker exhibits an interesting style conducive to listening with a clear beginning, segues, and conclusion. Basically, does it make sense? Does it seem like a good story to listen to? And I'm going to grade all these on a scale of A through F, A being excellent, F being horrendously bad, basically. You know, typical textbook grading of, or pre-90s thinking for school grades. Uh, conceptual quality. Conversation is not considered aimless. It's making a list of points, taking directions. Since, uh, yeah. And technical quality, which would be based upon audio quality, recording distortions. Um, pretty sure I stopped using the unnecessary amount of dead air at some point, though the first few does have some dead air. So basically the idea is going to be artistic, conceptual slash engaging, and technical slash audio. That's kind of the idea. So... Episode 1, which was a pilot episode, it involved combining a bunch of previously released, or previously intended to be released podcasts into one. Had an interview with what was going to be my original co-host, never panned out, and an interview with the 2006 world champion of vintage, someone I happen to know personally, and thoughts on, thoughts on vintage itself. It's actually a fairly interesting piece. Um, the, the interview with Travis Perrow, which is the last portion of that show. Uh, audio quality on that is average. That was after I kind of got the idea of how to make the recorder work that I was using, my original Panasonic recorder. Editing did involve a ton of dead air there, though, dead air. And the commentary regarding opinions about Hall of Fame art and all that, that was actually fairly engaging. So I would say artistic quality was probably, probably a B. Audio was probably a B-. minus. Conceptual is probably about, a, about an A minus. The next three are involving the trip to nationals uh, that I had in 2006. Sound quality on those was a D minus. Barely understandable. Some of those things I had a lot of what was completely dead air or should have been dead air or cut out was actually me talking to somebody in a conversation. That was just completely unlistenable. Had a lot of good humor though. Humor factor was really high in this one on those. And I had a couple of good interviews with artists. With the with Ron Foster from the DCI, uh, all of us made a lot of good points, a lot of good play explanations. So artistic quality, I'd say, it was really high, probably probably a B. But the sound quality was like a D minus or an F. It was definitely on topic. It was definitely engaging conversation. So I would say that was probably a B. Then after that, number five and six were extended. Uh, PTQ from Denver sound quality and that was still a D minus involved a lot of rambling and a lot of useless conversation and I went in different that I didn't need to continuously talk about and that was back when I was trying to figure out how to still do individual event coverage I liked how nationals came out for individual event coverage I didn't like how some of the events I did after that came out because when it was just me, myself, talking, 
it was a whole lot less engaging for the listener to listen to. So artistic quality is probably like a C. Audio was like a in like a D minus F. As far as number seven, two had a giant state championships. Uh, sound quality was mixed. I would say it's probably a C minus. There was points where the quality was good, and there was points where the quality was bad. The interview with Mike King was really good, and that's how you, you can get into the mind of what a level three thought about the two at a giant format itself. And it was actually a fairly interesting topic and interesting, engaging discussion. One of the better interviews I think I've done. Uh, it also had one of the funniest recorded uh, interactions at that point. Basically, where Steve, where uh, I fatal frenzied a cloudscape against Steve Galinda's team, and because I knew it was coming, I turned it on and recorded live. Included a lot of dead air as a, re- as a result of that, but you got the full reaction of what happened, as well as the fact that they tried to stop it with a bounce spell, and we had a permission spell to back it up to make sure it stuck. So the fatal frenzy of the frozen cloudscaper went large for 26 trample. One of the few times you'll ever see something humorous like that, I'd probably, or listen to something humorous like that. It was actually really funny, especially since the lenders went berserk after the fact. Uh, artistic quality, I would say, is really, really high, probably like a B plus. It was definitely a very engaging series of discussion about it. The audio quality was uh, probably like like a D in the end. There was also a few other good, good, interesting stories in that one. Definitely, definitely, I think I'm, uh, probably one of the better ones for just random stories from people. Number 8, 9, 10, and 11, Trip to Renfrew, Dallas. Had lots of interviews with like people like Jack Stanton, Shaka, uh, Shuhei Nakamura, Julian Nelson, Frank Karsten. I got to talk to a few other people like Gavin Barhe, uh, Billy Marino, Rob Alexander. In fact, Rob Alexander was a great interview in that one, if all knows. Uh, sound quality is still probably average, I guess, at this point. I would say about a C. Um, engaging topic, I think it was... I think it was about a, a, a B plus for, for artistic quality, engaging topic, and interest. Just interesting discussion. Coverage of day two of the Grand Prix could have been a lot better than it was, but that now only got to record like three words from the champion, who was uh, Ralph Levy, pretty much. Didn't, didn't get to talk to him as much as I thought I was going to. Number 12 was a really good quality for considering, at that point, it was like a B plus for audio quality. Um, very short, very brief. It was just a news announcement, and but I got done with my editing out of. At that point, I learned to start editing out dead air, and I went a little overboard in that one. And it basically sounds like I don't even take a breath during the entire 13-minute discussion. But I spent way too much time promising future recording stuff in this one that in the end I could probably cut out now and make like a seven-minute podcast out of. It had been just as effective as what it was. What it was. Number 13. Number 13. Creo. Basically, this was the first true MCG cast podcast recorded where I discussed different topics and opinions on stuff. And audio quality, eh, probably subpar. Conceptual idea, this was basically the, became the basis of what this podcast is really going to be about. And was, you can call it a second pilot episode, really. Again, the, meta, the motto of this is that no, mag- no topic in magic is off limits. Sometimes I'll slice up some topics into juicy steaks. Because no sacred cow, no cow is truly sacred. When it comes to magic, I will talk about anything and everything. And as you notice over time, I will talk about that anything. Uh, number 14 and 15 are both PTQs for two at a giant. Uh, both of those are a lot of road recording. Sound quality is probably about a D plus to a C minus. Uh, I do have some interesting engaging conversations though. 
and but at the same time I was also I recorded about two hours of audio just recording or just while driving that got edited down to like 40 minutes of just commentary and we use for many things number 16 was the Denver City Championships where I talk about how I basically do a full event coverage from, from top to bottom deck lists round one pairs and pairings and results all the way to finals pairings and results pretty good from an artistic point of view uh, basically I attempted to to do complete event coverage. If I had a better quality recorder at the time, I think this event would have, this would probably been one that would have benefited the most by having it earlier than I did, because it really needed better quality. But in the end, I think the uh, discussion among some of the players, getting to know some of the people, I think I think it was still about a C plus to a B minus considering audio-wise, and artistic quality was definitely up in the A's. It took a lot of work, too. Number 17, deck theorizing setting up for regionals. It was uh, the deck design purposes of it. I've not done nearly as much in this in this podcast as I should have. I'm going to attempt to introduce more of this because it's actually some of the more engaging conversation. And other ones that I did do this in, such as 42 and 43, it turned out to be really good in the, uh, to listen to. So... I think this is potential, but at the same time, it gives you a, it gives you a focus into the mind of a tournament player trying to prepare for how to build a deck and prepare a deck, or to improve a deck for a major tournament. Uh, recording quality was about average, about a C plus, maybe B minus. The ratings referring to my Hall of Fame selections for for um, 2007. For the most part, I was generally right. I generally got about all of them right, um, though I did not put Nico nearly as high quality or high as a player as others did. And that's that's just a personal choice. So if I were to run a Hall of Fame selection committee, I would be more than happy to produce a podcast like this for every thing. In fact, I'm probably going to do it anyways for every every year for the Hall of Fame regardless. But, you know, as much as I'd love to be on the selection committee, they don't deem me necessarily qualified to do it. So uh, Number 19 was the Grand Prix trial for Dallas, recorded much earlier in that year. Um, I don't know why I didn't put it into podcast editing before that. It really should have been released as part of the Grand Prix Dallas set. Uh, it gave you basically our opinions of what Extended was thinking of and how I did at the Grand Prix trial that I top eight did. Uh, number 20 was going back to the previous year's States event. Uh, probably the bottom of the barrel in sound quality, definitely an F. I could have done a lot better in that. Both gauging conversation was probably a D minus. It's probably not really worth listening to that one at all. Uh, 21, sound quality was probably back to like a B. I was breaking down my, my opinions of 10th edition and U.S. Nationals. Also, I added a add-on to that where Chris Ackerman, somebody else I know locally who will do about anything on a dare for money, decided to snort wasabi. So I recorded the audio from him snorting wasabi. Um, I'm surprised it didn't cause him to go to the hospital, but that, then again, you know, that guy's an idiot, I guess to even take on that kind of dare. But it was kind of funny. Number 22 was the PTQ for Time Trial Block, where Bradford and I are, at this point, actively trying to get ourselves back into constructed quality um, play high. Um, audio quality was probably below average. Artistic quality was, was reasonably good, but I just didn't. I had one of those days where I couldn't have played worse if I, did, if I tried at it. I had to try hard to play worse than I did that day, and it, it was pretty obvious how bad I played. Number 23 involves regionals, and was the second part to our two-part anti-Christian Halloween series. At this point, Christian doesn't really ever talk to me, which is fine, because I'm happy to not have to talk to him either. So, um, Bradford basically got screwed out of the top, out of 
lot of invite to nationals. Uh, Glenda earned a second straight invite to nationals, and, and actually half the uh, top eight was people I knew and was rooting for, most of which lost except Glenda, unfortunately. Um, engaging conversationally, yes, but definitely engaging. Artistic quality is probably like a B minus to C plus. Audio quality was about about C plus, I think. Number 24 was all about potential deck conversations about with uh, someone I knew who was going into uh, the JSS Worlds and or slash U.S. Nationals and him preparing a deck in preparation of that because of the 10th edition coming up. It was back to basically in the mind of how to build a better deck and thoughts on how to, how to metagame. It was actually an engaging conversation. We also broke out more 10th edition opinions. Same with 25th was more about 10th edition. Same thing. Both were about average quality audio. But it was like a B plus on an engaging topic. 26 is a group discussion of us discussing Grand Prix San Jose and a deck, uh, basically the construction of a an alternate version of Slivers for that event. In the end, I think it was a bad idea because everybody who played that deck went like one two or like one x drop two x drop so in the end it was a very detrimental conversation but definitely humorous topically so artistic quality high average average sound quality results not so good <laughs> number 27 was referring to the first of many $1,500 cash events the next one is coming up next month this one was the end of last year's standard before Lauren and basically Brather got screwed on tiebreakers and the other person who got screwed on tiebreakers was someone who I questioned the morality of and or um, accuracy of their shuffling technique. And, of course, Brett Piazza goes on and takes on a crap load of money again at that event. At this point, I was also figuring out how to be better audio editing with, with what I had. So from here on out, the audio quality was generally better across the board. So pretty much the rest of these will up from uh, pretty much from 20... 7 through to 39 was pretty much about a B minus for audio quality. 28 was talking about just some just basic opinions on things that were annoying me lately, and as well as my opinions of what Lauren can or is doing to the standard magic format prior to states that year. Um, number 29 is how I how I uh, took the tournament coverage and my opinions of how they're improving and changing the tournament coverage, particularly that which Brian David Marshall was working with. The, the video coverage, things I liked and disliked about it. Uh, artistic quality, definitely B plus, A minus. I think it was also a fairly engaging conversation. Um, 30 was the PTQ Limited for Lauren, and it basically showed me how bad I was. I was still not very good at, like, selecting cards into a sealed deck because I built a really bad deck, but I also opened a horrible deck, and it was, like, bottom 5% deck, and I did the best I could with what I had. But there was no way I was going to get more than more than a 2x drop out of it, basically. I just wasn't going to do better than that. Anybody who's, a, who's an outstanding player couldn't have done much better than that with what I had. Number 31 and 32 are the coverage to the 2007 Colorado States where I placed second. There was lots of engaging conversation in that in those. Um, I was definitely getting better at recording audio from there and edited it to make it reasonably good sounding uh, lots of detailed information and some interesting discussions so I would say that's actually an A plus uh, audio or uh, for engaging and artistic quality and probably like an A minus or B plus for audio quality on both of those definitely worth listening to in the pre 40 group pre episode 40 
I would say that's probably the 31 and 32 may be the three or uh, two of the of the five best of the entire group. Definitely worth listening to. 33 is my my opinions of planeswalkers, what they do to magic, and how to make use of them. 34, I go off and uh, do two things. One thing is I probably unnecessarily promote Paul Sheehan as the next coming of like he's the next Finkel for the for the US players. That's probably a little overreaching at this point. Uh, I also talk about the I also go through the effort in the group discussion with me, Moynihan and Patrick where we redesign teachings for standard from the ground up, knowing what we knew now from states. Uh thirty five is basically just continuation of states as dinner. It's it's the dinner party for the continuation of me doing well at states. Not overly engaging, vaguely interesting dinner conversation. Basically, I'd call that the D- minus for artistic quality and audio quality, and that was actually subpar considering at the time, so probably definitely not worth listening to. 36, I go into my opinions of what they, what Watsi has done to PTQ sizes that has hurt attendance or helped attendance lately. Um, Topic-wise, topic I think it's an A+. Quality-wise, it was definitely like a B in the Bs, like a B+. I think it's worth readdressing too because I'm hoping some changes that I suggested are going to eventually be implemented, though it doesn't look like WASI has, or at least I've never been given an official response from WASI at this particular podcast, unlike the next one, which is number 37, and my opinions on how to change vintage to make it more accessible to the players. That did generate a couple of emails response from WASI, um, particularly from Devin Lowe, but in the end uh, they feel it would be more detrimental to to accept the change, more detrimental to the history of Magic and to the format of Magic by accepting the change than it would be to uh, just allow to continue the, the the injustice to continue. So it got me some got got some interesting feedback from Wasi or from uh, Devin Lowe specifically of R and D and what they thought about it. But in the end, they don't. Basically, we were on the opposite ends of what we think would be good regarding the vintage format and as a result you know obviously I'm not that influential so you know things don't change so things won't, won't be changing number 38 I go off and rant out about a, about a couple of MTGO topics as well as uh, regarding people that have been annoying me in MTGO or things that annoy me in MTGO but then also how to make money or not get screwed by people who sell tickets via PayPal and how to how to best uh, avoid getting screwed over by them 39, I go to a whole bunch of different small topics that if I spent the time, I probably could have busted into like three or four bigger podcasts with a lot more detail, and I probably didn't do that. I may go back and readdress some of those at some point. It's basically an omnibus of topics. Number 40, I go through the updated Pro Players Level 3 Club information and what we knew about it and why I think some of it is not a good sign and some of it makes some sense as to why they had to do it. At this point, I was also getting my new podcaster finally in the mail. And I was starting to make use of it, trying to figure out the ins and outs of how to make this new podcast recorder do the best I can with it. Uh, so from 41, or basically from 40 on, sound quality becomes either a B plus, A minus, or A plus, depending on which one you look at. Uh, number 41, though, specifically, the Utah PTQ trip or what should have been a PTQ trip, that podcast should have never been recorded. I should have deleted it for being completely uninteresting and a waste of people's time to listen to. Artistic quality, that was an F minus, the worst of this entire group. Audio quality was was average to better at that point, but still 
Number 41 was a mistake. I should have never done that one. 42, artistic quality, A+. I basically go through people's responses, opinions of, from various forums and go over the deck that Michael J. Flores has credited me with as being one of the people who originally promoted it and introduced the world to it, basically also known as Mannequin, because uh, I did well with it in the States, and he eventually picked this 12, one of the 12 most influential decks of 2007. In this one, I basically go through the mind of the expert, as it were, and give you my opinions on what is and isn't making sense for future updates at decks and how to make them better. Number 43 was recorded basically on a dare from a re-trimmer feedback. I promise anyone who gives me email feedback will get a response in, in a podcast. This one was dedicated to a response because the person wanted to know what I thought about Dragonstorm and its place in the current metagame. And I think it was actually, artistic quality was probably about an A-. minus. Sound quality was was probably about an A-. minus. Number 44 and 45, I rehashed something I recorded a year and a half previously. Uh, humor factor, absolute A plus humor. Sound quality, uh, about about a C minus, but still, I think humor factor wise, it's amazing. It was it was outstanding, and get, definitely engaging conversation. Artistic quality was definitely an A plus. Number forty six, where I did my Christmas greens and impromptu poetry. Yes, that was in fact impromptu. I left recorder on for about half an hour and basically strung a bunch of sentences together that kind of sounded like poetry. Edited out a ton of dead noise. Edited out a few sentences which made absolutely no sense in the context they were used in. And cut and pasted a few pieces of words from one place to another and basically made myself a poem by doing so regarding Worlds 2007. And then I read a, a piece of poetry off on a forum I found that was magic and Christmas related. I thought it was kind of cool. Number 47, the hardest podcast to produce so far this year. Basically my review of 2007 on a tournament level. I've had to record multiple pieces of that and redo them because I got... I basically bored myself in the process of recording. So artistic quality, though, in the end, I think the final product turned out to be like a B. About a B. Though audio quality was probably about a, about a B plus or so. B, B plus, A minus. Number 48 involved feedback from emails and a WASI lawsuit. Not the most... It, it falls under any topic I'll discuss regarding magic. I spent too much time also talking about my, my marital problem. That in that or my lawsuit problem I guess at this point because the marriage is definitely over with though, though the, the divorce proceeding hasn't quite ended yet but that should be the last one I spent a lot of time on and the last podcast a topic plus a plus topic definitely topical all about the extended format and my initial reactions and feedback based on how many hours I've put into it so far uh, right now if I had to choose today to play a PTQ deck it would be Doran with a honorable mention to Red Deck Wins I'm not saying I'm going to choose the best deck if I, when I need more testing, I don't believe control is truly playable in this format now. Um, though results keep saying otherwise, results keep saying counterbalance is available as an option. Uh, other decks like Tron, not playable, not even remotely playable. I'm going to put together another podcast in the not too distant future regarding extended. In fact, I'm going to probably do a couple of different ones. This one was intended to be a review show and I probably will do a, a regular review show about every 50 episodes or so regarding my last 50 a lot of people different do, a lot of different people do some more things it just happens to be the timing wise it's near the end of the year so it sounds like I'm doing two review shows when I wasn't really intended that to be the case but nonetheless I believe we've had enough of that in the United States we can do much much better if there's a fair way I'm all ears okay back again after another brief break 
this point I'd like to reemphasize Facebook. <coughs> like I said, for the listeners of MCGCast hosts and listeners of Facebook, and people who listen to this show and Money Night Magic, etc., people who are logged into Facebook, tag us in your group. If and when there are 100 people, members of the Facebook, yes, specifically must have 100 members for this to work, I want to do two contests. I'm going to give away two cards, basically. One will be to a random user of the Facebook who does post in either the wall or the forums, um, either on the wall or or discussion board, basically. Yeah, not forums so much as discussion board. The Facebook discussion board. If some, somebody, whoever posts in there, any given topic and or the wall, one person will randomly be selected to receive a magic card from me. And the other person will be selected based on a topic which I'm now going to post up there in the discussion forums. That topic is what is the most powerful extended deck of any era and why do you believe that? An era means do you want it to be the original extended season which had the original dual lands? Do you want the second extended season which had the exemption for the dual lands to still be legal but what nothing else was legal from revised? Do you want the current modern extended and making a case for say Dredge being the most powerful ever extended format deck? One person who responds to that with a good reason and why will be selected based on their answer to also receive a magic card from me. I'm going to put this on pause for a second. Basically, the two cards that I'm going to give away are Ancestral Vision and Shandra Lalar. Two very playable, constructed, standard cards. Not the highest quality of cards, not Fossies. Well, I just don't own any Fossies. But definitely playable and definitely worth a little bit of money. Not the most exciting thing. I may include a signed card that I signed from a because uh, there's a few cards I collected a ton of. I, I might give those away as additional too. But these are the two cards again. The winner of the contest regarding what's the most powerful extended deck from any era and why post will get the choice of the two. The other one will be randomly given to some member who does post in the Facebook. So I would encourage you to get your friends to sign in. Come join our Facebook. Get us up to the minimum 100 people required in order for any answers given away. And uh, I'll let this topic run for for a, couple, for a week or two or three until I decide it's, it's good enough. And then uh, I'll let the winner uh, of the best topic make the choice of. And now, before I sign off, the end of this will be a quick recap of what I have deemed to be the funniest thing that I recorded in my first 50 episodes of doing this podcast and happens to be involving a road trip in Dallas, Grand Prix Dallas, that Patrick Smith was driving. I was in the front passenger seat, and Paul Bradford was in the back seat. And I'm just going to replay the audio of a couple minutes from that, because I deemed it to be the funniest thing that I recorded in my first 50 episodes. And with that, this is Otwell, and hopefully 2008 will be better for all of us. I intend to be on the, um, I've intended to qualify for the Pro Tour. If you follow me, hopefully you will too. Thank you and good night. Hey baby, let's jump in my low rider and let's rotate these tires. Nobody wanted the other team. You just didn't like it. And you're like, where's the nearest rib place? I mean, hell, there's something about food joint. You don't ask them about ribs when they don't sell ribs. Well, Charles has ribs. No, they have the McRib. No, they, no, they, they, they have the a rib. Mouse. They, the big mouse. They think they have an imitation rib. Uh, you can't. Well, just here. No.
No, you can't. Yes, you can. Yeah, you can. What are you talking about? I'm just used to Paul telling me to do can't do. <laughs> but don't work on him. Why don't I just say you can't? Go right. Really says. Go right. You can't. I'm in the left lane. Go straight. You can't. Are you good? I can't. Why did I go this way? Oh, where are you going? Where am I going? Uh, what is it? That's a Wonder Burger. Two. Uh, right. Right. There's grace to get an interstate. Stop. Ah. Ah! Where the hell did that come from? Wow, we just hit a medium head on. Dude, I couldn't see it. But it wasn't there. And then it was there. <laughs> oh my god. I'm glad I'm the only no, I'm the only one that had any beer. You just killed Patrick, what the hell? Dude, this place sucks. <laughs> I really didn't see the median until like oh, 10 I... seconds before I was, or not 10 seconds, 10 feet before I was on it. I wasn't even looking for it. I just didn't see it because, because the lights out. The other thing was because, dude, most places don't have medians in the middle of nowhere. There's <laughs> a median there? It wasn't in the middle of nowhere, it was in the middle of the road, hence it's called a median. In the middle of the road. It's just for, for no reason. It's a no... median. A median stands for middle. Middle of what? No road. <laughs> Why is there a big, huge thing in the middle of the road? Because it's a median. Okay, you can't. That's redundant. <laughs> exactly. You can't say that like that. It's redundant. Straight, right? Yeah. How is it redundant? Okay. You're saying it's in the. You're saying the name of it is me. It's medium, and it's in the middle of the road because it's in the middle of the road. If it wasn't in the middle of the road, it would be called a median. What else would you call it? Uh, a side What? Are you podcasting this? I, I started on a recorder about. About, a, about 30 seconds ago, we hit the median. Awesome. <laughs> Perfect. So you're going to hear Paul, like, awful sign, so he can get a squeak sound? I couldn't. No, you can't make a squeak sound. You sound like a seagull. Yeah, all right, so. 